and a fond welcome to all of you coming back to another year and studying uh, the Book of Mormon. Thanks for being here. Today's class, we begin with an interesting one, and that is that there's a discussion in Alma 41 about judging, what it looks like to judge. Uh, and there's some questions about how it is that the Nephites understood the process of judging, especially when we look at what we know now from, a, from the Restoration. Let's look today at putting some background behind another way, perhaps, of understanding judging in the Book of Mormon, and that perhaps is not quite as harsh as we tend to see it. So, again, thanks for hopping on. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. So, uh, welcome to uh, another class. Uh, and I'm just recording this for, because uh, we then post this as a podcast, uh, that, so people that aren't able to be here uh, we are playing with the idea of maybe uh, getting a, a video recording of this, uh, and I, I'm still trying to work on putting that uh, piece together. But uh, I'm just saying, dress up. <laughs> the, the nice thing, if we do decide to do a recording, is that it'll be coming over at me, and so it isn't like the camera's going to turn and get right in your face. And for those who want a sense of anonymity, right? Okay. So I want to want to start today um, as kind of a lead-in. I'm gonna I want to repeat something that I that I did do on uh, Saturday night, but then I want to take it in a, a little different direction. On Saturday night, speaking in uh, in Plano, um, we talked about the fact we, we talked about what I what is my favorite parable, and that is the parable of the prodigal son, and. And in looking at that, the parable of the prodigal son uh, gives us three main characters in there. Who are the three main characters? The dad and, and, and the two boys, right? So we have a son, we've got a father, and we've got the older son. Now, uh, we, know that we know this story pretty well. Remember that the son uh, decides, as he gets thinking about it, and he's not the oldest son, he's the younger son, so he's not going to get the majority of the land when father dies. So he might as well get his money now. And, and the son starts asking a particular question, uh, and, and it's a particular attitude. And that is, what is deserved? What do I deserve? And what is fair? And he's looking at it, and he goes... I deserve more, or I deserve not to have to wait till my dad dies to get the money. I deserve to be free. I deserve a lot of things, right? So he's going to go to his father, and he's going to say, give me my money now. Now, in those days, 
money isn't in the bank, money's in the land. So where are they going to get the money to give to the son so that he can take off to the Gentiles? You're going to have to sell a third of the land. That's going to impoverish the family by a third, which the father does, shockingly. Okay. Uh, so he said, I deserve this. I don't want to wait for you to die. I'd be happier if you died now, actually. You know, I get my money, but okay. I don't want to die yet, so we'll sell the land, and off he goes. And probably sells it at a fire sale because everybody knows the son wants to leave. So they don't even get the full value, okay? So son's going to go on the idea, what do I deserve, and what is fair? Now, he goes out. We know he spends the money. Things are going great until what? Until he runs out of money, and it says there is a drought. And now he's starving. There's no way, he, you know, to. So he's really struggling. At this point, uh, he's going to say, what do I deserve? And he says, I could go back home, but what do I don't deserve? I'll be treated. To, I don't deserve now to be treated as a son. But I could deserve to be a servant. So I'm going to go, and he practices the speech, you know. I don't deserve to be thy son. I'm going to be the, a servant, and I'm going to do this. Okay, yeah. And he's got to think all the way home. He's working on this speech, okay. He gets there, so he's going to walk in. Now, the father, on the other hand, is operating out of a sense, uh, why would he have sold the land and let his son take it? Is it about deserving? What is it about for the father? It's about love. He loves his son. Now, if, if we love somebody, now we're not asking what it is that they deserve. What are we asking? Is he seeing his son come without a robe, no shoes, probably looking a little emaciated. There's a drought going on. And he's looking at his son. What's he asking? What does he need? What does he need? Okay. I love this boy. And so the question is going to be, what is needed? Now, what did he need? He needed sh shoes. He needed a coat, a robe. Uh, he needed food. Let's kill the fatted calf and celebrate. Okay. What, but what else does he need? Because he gets a ring. What's the ring? Yeah, and not just acceptance. The ring would have the seal on it. That's how we're going to transact business. He needs this boy to know that he's still his son. He's still a member of the family. And the best way he can do that is give him the ring. So think about what's happening here. We have a son who says, what is it I deserve? I only deserve to be a servant. And maybe I'll work and I won't starve. And the father responds to that question with his own. What does my son need? He's had temporal needs, but more than that, he needs to know that I love him. And he needs to know that he has not forfeited his, despite what he's done, he hasn't forfeited his, his, uh, my right to keep claim him as my son. Does that make sense? 
really, and, and I don't think the son really knew it until the moment of embrace when he comes back and he realizes he's going to be met with, instead of servanthood, he's going to be accepted back in far more. Now, by the way, if the son is loved that way, after the banquet, he goes to bed in his own bedroom again, and he wakes up the next morning, what do you think he does next? They lost a third of the land due to his actions. In some way, I'm gonna I'm gonna now work on somehow restoring maybe. At the very least, if he can't do it, he's gonna love his father and he's gonna be the best, I think the best son, because he he that deserving thing was met with such a wave of love that it just turns his whole heart around. I think that's what I believe. That makes sense. Now, the thing I love about this parable, though, is that when Jesus introduces this parable, he says, a certain man had two sons. Certain man had two sons. And it comes as the third part of the, of the big parable, because first of all, he's going to talk about uh, lost sheep. Then he's going to talk about lost coins. Then he's going to talk about lost boys. How many prodigals does the father have? Two. He has two. Because they're both asking the wrong question. And because of that, it will guide the, their actions and the way that they respond to dad and everything else they do. Because the second one is the older son. And the older son sees the, the brother come in, sees that he gets the banquet. And what question is he asking? Yeah, because, and why are you doing that? Because I deserve to be loved more than him. Because I was faithful and he, and he impoverished it. Yeah, at the very least, but you never did this for me. That wasn't fair. And the, but, and, but his anger is so big that when they hold the banquet, he won't come into the banquet. Everybody, the whole family, the whole village is there. He's not coming into the banquet. The father has to get up, embarrassed, and walk out. Well, your son won't come in. Oh, okay. Well, I've got to go out to him. Well, you never did this for me. I, I served you all these years. I served you, meaning I deserved this. I earned this. And the father says, everything I gave you is yours. But. My son was dead, and now he's alive. My son was lost. Now he's found. In other words, I, I'm responding out of a sense of love to my son, and this is what he needed based on need. The, the older son is still stuck on deserving. Okay, So in, in, instead of feeling love, what's the older son feeling? Anger, right? He's feeling anger towards... His, his younger brother, and he's expressing anger towards dad, right? Okay. And the father is responding to that anger of I deserve with love. Okay. So all along, part of what made these sons prodigal was the fact that they asked the wrong questions of themselves 
is it based on what I deserve or is it based on what I need? Now, those of you who are parents, let me ask you, how many times did your kids mess up? <laughs> okay. Did you respond on the basis of what they deserve or did you respond to them based on what it is that they needed? And, and why would you do that? <laughs> It is an incredible thing because the, I think there's a natural side of us. This was a big enough deal that the Savior repeats this principle in another parable, the principle of the vineyard, the workers in the vineyard, those that come first in the morning and they work all day, and then those that come in late in the afternoon and they get the same wage, okay? and they're, But they're still working off, what do I deserve? And he's responding out of love, yeah. I think the thing we have to remember is this is coming the Father and Jesus Christ. That's the Father and love that that's nobody. And we can try and do these things. Right. But we're not gonna be No, because the natural our natural man puts us over here, right? Even as we it's gonna be the Sure. But why, but why, when they do bad things, did you not just kick them out the door? Or you kicked them out or, or had them live somewhere else, but ultimately you let them come back? Because you're saying, here are the rules of the house. You can live by the rules of the house. Oh, after a while, this idea of what we deserve is finally overshadowed by the fact that we love. And when we love, as earthly parents, we get better at saying they... A, two, a crying toddler doesn't deserve a whole lot, but we love them anyway, and we get up and we do things for them. And a three-year-old that's screaming because you cut their sandwich wrong and you cut the crust off the bread, okay? And, and that's not, you know, I don't like bologna, you know, and all that. And, and they don't deserve a whole lot of anything. <laughs> but we love them anyway, and we give them not what they deserve. We give them what they need. And what is it that they need? And if they do that, then ultimately they need to be able to grow and they need to be able to learn and they need to be able to change and they need to be able to mature and they need to be able to be different in the long run. And we're going to provide the things that enable them that they need to be able to be different. Does that make sense? That's right. Yes, because some, because sometimes what they need is some consequences. Right. Not because they deserve a spanking, but we're seeing at the time we may be thinking you deserve. You're making me mad. I'm, I'm gonna okay, and we battle that right back and forth. But ultimately, we're saying you need to be grounded so that you learn to not do stupid things. I need you to grow. And so I'm going to provide consequences out of not what you deserve, but out of what you need. Does that make sense? Okay. So hold on to that idea. Because here's, here's where this goes. These are, so we're talking about the parable and we're talking about our own experience as parents. Now, think about that we are 
blessed with having heavenly parents? How did they respond? And we're learning our parenting skills from them. So here's, here's my question. In the parable, the love of the father never stops. He never stops looking. He never stops waiting. There is never a time for him that the older son would deserve never to come home. The love and the waiting never stops. But while both sons continued to judge themselves based on what they thought they deserved, hopefully you'll see where I'm going with this as we apply it to ourselves. While both sons continued to judge themselves based on what they thought they deserved, when the son returned, he was then judged by the father. The father judged him at that moment. But what was he judging? What he needed. I'm going to provide a judgment, an assessment of... What does he need? What does he need? Does that make sense? The father judged him based on what he needed, not on what he deserved. Okay. Now, yeah. Let's flip that in. I don't think so. I don't think so. Otherwise, he said, let me go out and evaluate and have an interview with you and we'll sit down or we'll have you come into the village and wait a, wait a day or two and then I'll see if this is. He just said, I'm going to move forward with love and that will overwhelm that sense of, okay? And I think that's the judgment. I think that's judgment. Now, our natural man, see, we have in our mind what judgment is. That's not what he's doing. I know, I know. It, it, let me give you one more where I think it kind of speaks to this. And it's actually Isaiah. Look at Isaiah. Learn to do well. We're going to see this reflected big time in Alma 41 in just a second. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. See, we, we are bound up in the idea, judge not that you be not judged. But isn't it interesting, you're going to start finding when you start looking how often God says, judge righteously, judge righteous judgment. I want you to judge. But what we think, you're going to judge meaning condemn. That judging is condemning. And he's going to, but he's going to be saying, Isaiah is saying it, judge the fatherless. Okay? Now, in this case, Joan, we could be saying, well, they're fatherless, but maybe it was their fault, you know, somehow. Or there was something that, you know, so I'm going to condemn the fatherless. And he's going, no, judge the fatherless, meaning what? Yeah, and, and ask what question, what they need. I need you to judge, and I need you to judge not what they deserve. I need you to judge what they need. Assess the things that they really need. Judge righteously. <laughs> uh, that, 
That's right, because that's the way we would look at it in a modern sense. Modern sense changes out the word judge for condemn. Or we're going to judge and then there's going to be a, some kind of a sentence or a penalty pronounced on that because that's the way that we look at it. If you, look, if you start looking through the scriptures, how often judging is used, you start seeing a different flavor coming through how often judging is in terms of judge righteous judgment, meaning assess the need and then move forward on that. Does that make sense? And, it, and so sometimes when we're talking about judging, we're going to have to step back about what we think judge condemn. And oftentimes God is saying, judge, assess, judge, recognize, judge their needs and respond. Doesn't mean we always give them good stuff. It just means that sometimes we're going to assess what will help them be better, what will help them grow. Okay. Comments on that? Is that? Right. They are judged. They are assessing yes. what's going on. Yes. And, and when you're a relief site president, they, in the old days, they used to make you go in and assess what the house Go was through there. the cupboards. So that, yeah, that whole thing, right? Uh, and gratefully, they don't do that anymore. But anyway, it's still, we were to assess what the needs were. Now, commonly, though, because of our, our mortal construct when we think about the the bishop is a common judge in israel what does that sound like he's the common judge meaning he's the one that sits behind the thing with the gavel thou shalt take the sacrament thou shalt not take the sacrament you know in other words you're gonna and there are gonna be some times for their growth that you're having to decide is this those kind of things but I don't think we're thinking about so often when God is saying to a bishop, judge righteous judgment, meaning judge what? What are the needs? What does this person need? What does this family need? And it's my job to then bring whatever I can to bear to resolve those needs because I'm doing it out of love, not out of condemnation. I'm not trying to figure what you deserve. I'm trying to figure what you need because I love you. Okay, a different way of looking at this. Okay, now, this becomes really important. Because uh, quite honestly, um, th there are some parts of the Book of Mormon that I think we, we can struggle with just a little bit. Um, and and let, let, me, let me put it this way. Because uh, I'm going to shift gears and then I'll bring it together. Okay. So before, any, any final comments on the idea of judging before we move on? Yeah. I'm just comparing it in the scriptures to um, the Father said, I will forgive whom I will forgive, mm -hmm. and you will part and forgive all men. Yeah, love everybody. Yep. I, think, I think we combine those two because God's judgment is also what he does with us and does with me. Yeah. Um, I think we, like, like God will forgive them, you know, if they do this. Does that make sense? Well, but look at what, right, but look at what we're doing right in that moment. Yeah. If, I, if I'm going to say, judge not, and I'm going to always see that as condemn, right. then at that moment, when I'm going to say, 
here's what she deserves. At that moment, I have replaced God. I get to be the one to decide what you deserve. I get to be the one to make those kind of decisions. And when we judge, condemn, it means that we are replacing God because we know more than God does. And so we take that over and then we condemn. And in a sense, that was the older son and the prodigal son saying, I get to decide what the younger brother needs. He doesn't need anything. Kick him out. <laughs> or send him, send him down the road, but he only gets to be the son when he's raised enough money to come buy the land back, you know, and start putting conditions on that. Uh, any more than the people that were working the vineyard early in the day are going, well, don't give them what we got. That isn't fair. We're going to judge. They deserve a half, half of what we got or a third of what we got. And the people that are coming in at four o'clock and getting the full day's wage, they're going, well, we were judging us. We probably only get a, you know, half a bit. We get a mite. We get a full penny. Really? Well, they got, they were met with more. God always gives more because he's assessing need, not deserving. Okay. Now. Okay. Hold on to that. And, and the Nephites and the Nephites. Okay. And that's why we have to have this context before we can dive into Alma 40, 41 and 42, who is, at that point, this is Alma dealing with Corianton, who kind of went off the reservation on his mission. And actually, he's chasing an idolater. And he's chasing a uh, Korahorite. Without trying to get into too deep on this, okay? But, but I want you to see that Alma and Paul both have a similar kind of thing. Think about it this way. Both of them were Old Testament people and they were old testament law of moses believing prophets and how does the law of moses tend to treat deserving versus need how can you tell those that deserve salvation under the law of moses strict observances as Paul would go into Corinth, or he'd go into Ephesus, or he'd go into Thessalonica, or any of those places, the, the Judaizers in the synagogues would say, how do we know if a man is righteous or not? He's circumcised. There's an outward sign. And that, so much that Paul used the term and everybody else used the term, the circumcised versus the non-circumcised. This would be the righteous versus the non-righteous. You could be beating your wife on a regular basis, but if you're circumcised, you've got that outward sign <laughs> that says, I'm one of these people. To the point that Paul loses it in the book of Galatians when he just kind of goes, circumcised versus so you guys ought to be like castrated you know he's like i'm gonna tell this awful joke <laughs> uh, because of all of that right uh but it was the outward observance it is the, doing it or not okay means that you are condemned versus you are uh based on what you need but the 
both Paul and Alma are Old Testament prophets, pre-coming of Christ. Now, here's the deal. They are both teaching law, Old Testament law of Moses people. I'm Old Testament, you're Old Testament. So this is our world. It's, it's all about condemnation and who makes it and who doesn't. Okay? Now, what scriptures are they going to use? The Old Testament. It's all they got. Whether it's a brass plate or it's the Old Testament, that's all they got. Now, one of the things we know about the Old Testament, uh, the Book of Mormon is seen as being very straightforward and very clear, common sense. How is the Old Testament? Confusing. They would use parable, synonyms, poetry, metaphors, allegories. And so sometimes it was, it was built in this kind of, you can interpret this thing a lot of ways because it's all based on symbols and symbolism and allegories. And if you work the spirit, you can, you actually get deeper stuff like the temple, right? If you don't, if you're beating your wife, but you're circumcised and, and you're keeping Yom Kippur, you're doing the outward ordinances, you're not one of the condemned. Yeah. Which was Paul's job, right? Paul was saying, I'm going to use Psalms. I'm going to use the book of Daniel. I'm going to use Proverbs. I'm going to use Isaiah. And I'm going to go in, now that I know the, the doctrine of Christ, I'm going to go in and I'm going to reach in and I'm going to pull out the doctrine of Christ out of Psalms 21. <laughs> Or I'm going to use the doctrine of the resurrection and I'm going to go into Isaiah 53 and find the, the stuff. And some people are going to get it. And the Judaizers in the synagogues are going to go, are you out of your mind? <laughs> you're eating with Gentiles. We can't get past the idea that you're eating with Gentiles. We're not hearing the doctrine of Christ because it's all about performances and condemnation, using the law to condemn. That's what it's about. I, they then are going to judge based on those kind of things. Does that make sense? Okay, so there, there's the problem. So he's trying to teach the doctrine of Christ using Old Testament scriptures to an Old Testament people based on being Old Testament prophets. Alma was an Old Testament prophet teaching Old Testament people based on their understanding and where he was, the doctrine of Christ, which was still learning and emerging and not clearly defined yet. As Alma goes along, he says sometimes, I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know about it. I had to pray about it. Oh, I learned this. Oh, okay. In the same way that President Nielsen today says, this, we live in a church of an ongoing restoration. What does the ongoing restoration mean, Sister Fuller? What, what does that mean? If he says this is an ongoing restoration, it means what? And some of what we get now will perhaps contradict or appear to contradict 
stuff that earlier prophets said. Well, that's real threatening to some people. We want the scriptures to be sola scriptura. It never changes. We want the words of Brigham Young to exactly match President McKay, that will match President Hinckley, that will match President Nelson. So when changes, for instance, you talked about the alphabet people. If the church changes anything at all in terms of acceptance of LGBT or something like that, they're going to people go, President McKay would never do that. And Colossians says, and Exodus says, we don't, I, you know. And they did that when, when uh, Wilford Woodruff then said, I think we need to back off polygamy, or no, John Taylor. We're make some changes in polygamy here. And they went, Brigham Young wouldn't have done and or some Pratt wouldn't have. We live, this is an ongoing restoration. The Book of Mormon was an, is an ongoing restoration. They know more by the end of the Book of Mormon and the Nephite nation than they knew at the beginning. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm really trying to set you up here. <laughs> okay, so it's slowly being revealed when it's asked and learned because we have to have these things in mind. Um, now, one last piece then when we read the Book of Mormon. Not only was this Old Testament people teaching Old Testament Old Testament prophets teaching Old Testament people using Old Testament scriptures, trying to the, the unfolding of the gospel of Christ. It's slowly being revealed. And, but then there's one more layer to the Book of Mormon. Brigham Young said that if the Book of Mormon had been revealed to Joseph Smith later, it would have been a different book. Because some of this had to come through, we don't know how much, some of this had to come through the mind of Joseph Smith. Was Joseph Smith an Old Testament prophet? No. Was, was he teaching an Old Testament people? What was he? But what, what was his dominant doctrine as he's growing up? Calvinism, which was almost as strict as the Old Testament stuff. It's all steeped in what? Heaven and hell and who gets to go to heaven and who gets to go to hell. The first generation of the church was Calvinist. They were all steeped on heaven and hell. That's what they believed. That's what they taught. That's what they heard. When the, the three degrees of glory came along, it held Brigham Young up for 18 months because he could not believe that there was more than just heaven or hell. That was a doctrine he had to massage in his brain and go, yeah, this is more kind, but that's not what I grew up with. So I think the Book of Mormon is also coming through the mind of Joseph Smith, who has a really, he's steeped a lot in Calvinism. Does that alter a little bit how this comes across in the Book of Mormon? I don't know to what extent. All I know is that the first, these, these chapters we're going to look at in the Book of Mormon sound, would be very, the Baptists are very comfortable with this section. Because it sounds like them, unless you understand what we just talked about in judgment. Okay. How are we doing so far? My my cloud in the waters. Okay. That said, then let's let's uh, let's take a look at uh, what we're talking about here. Because we're going to go to Alma forty and forty one, and this is the problem of sin and the problem of judging. Oh, get over here to Alma. First of all, let's go Alma forty. 
Remember, who's he talking to? Corianne. He's talking to his son who's struggling with what it is that I, I should be condemned. And his father's going, here's what you need. Okay. Now, he's trying to, here's what he's going to say. This is where I think, and I think this is so important because we have to understand this. Otherwise, we have a tendency to not see the growth that we've got in terms of knowledge and understanding since Alma received this before the coming of Christ. We've grown a bit beyond this. But look at this. It comes to pass, okay, come to pass that the spirits who are righteous are received into a state of happiness, paradise. And it comes to pass that the spirits of the wicked who are evil, for behold, they will have no part or portion of the spirit of the Lord. They choose the evil. Therefore, the spirit of the devil did enter into them. They shall be cast into outer darkness. They shall be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth because of their own iniquity, being led into iniquity by the devil. If you don't repent, you are really going to hell, to outer darkness. And it will be bad. Okay? Now, then he goes one step farther. This is the state of the souls of the wicked. Okay. In darkness, a state of awful, fearful looking for the fiery indignation of the wrath of God to come upon them. <laughs> wow. Okay. Thus they remain in this state as well as the state of the righteous until the time of the resurrection. Now. Let me tease you a little bit. What parts of that do you think are accurate? And what part do you think was just based on the knowledge they had to that moment in their growth? What do we know since then? Yeah, which part? Yes. And there's no end, nowhere into this, but they didn't have it yet. Where? Right. When did that start happening? When Christ comes. So it's still a hundred years away, right? So to a certain extent, what here's what we don't know is how much of this was maybe true prior to Christ coming? How much I, I don't know. But and and this could have been true before the coming of Christ. Here's what we do know, but this is not true since the coming of Christ. Does that make sense? So we can look at it. Doesn't, it doesn't condemn the Book of Mormon. It doesn't make the Book of Mormon wrong or false. It just says, look at what their understanding was at this moment in time about without an under, understanding of what Christ would do. Okay. Right. Where prophets ask questions, right. prophets get revelation and inspiration to answer that question, and it moves the ball. It moves our, our fund of knowledge forward, but it takes us away from what we thought we knew. Well, it's just like I've been in temple worship for almost 20 years. Having watched the temple Yes, like, yeah. Because you never know 
Although, isn't it interesting that every time the temple has changed, aren't there aren't there some people, maybe less now than it used to be, but every time the taint changes a little bit, somebody goes, well, that's not how we used to do it. This isn't... It, it, what? I, I'll never forget, before my mission, going, going to the temple for the first time, and my dad goes through with me, and... And he says to the guys who are giving us the temple clothes, he goes, doesn't he need temple garments? And, and the temple worker says, no, they made a change, and now you get to wear your own garments in the temple. This is 1976. He gets to wear, he gets, no, he, he gets to wear his own garments. They're going to put the garment on him, and then he'll, he'll be wearing that. He doesn't need temple garments. And my dad was like, what? We don't? Really? We're supposed to have the long handled things with the trap doors, you know, come <laughs> Couldn't believe it. But, the, but there are changes. That, so, but, but here's the struggle. Here's the thing that I worry about guys is that sometimes if we don't understand that this was in context, this is where these people were at that moment in time with the knowledge that they had, somebody who doesn't understand this will read the book of Mormon and go, wow, I'm going to hell. Because I'm going to condemn myself. I'm going to judge myself about what I'm worthy of. And I don't worry. I think I'm going to hell. And people outside the church will say, Mormons believe that people go to hell if they drink coffee. And they could actually quote the Book of Mormon and come close. We go, that was then. We, we have to see the Book of Mormon as a work in progress. Then we can, then we can see kind of where they were and what they understood. Now, uh, one thing I do like about this, though, uh, is the fact that when when we are in a state, if we don't understand this, and you are judging yourself, and you're judging yourself based on I'm not perfect, or I've done these things, or I'm struggling, uh, there's maybe some perfectionistic blood in you, little OCD blood, got to do all the right stuff. Tell me when you're in the act of condemning yourself that you don't do this one. You're in a state of awful, fearful looking for the fiery indignation of the wrath of God to come upon you. I've got guys every day that struggle with pornography addictions, and this is where they are like the next day. I want to go on a mission. I can't go because I had a relapse, and now they're sitting in my office. I had one happen this last week. Uh, and, and this poor kid was in a state of awful, fearful, looking for the fiery indignation of his state president to come upon him, uh, the wrath of God. Okay? Thus they remain in this state, depressed, anxious, because they're condemning themselves because it's about what I deserve. And if we start judging ourselves based on what it is that's needed, because I said to this kid, here's what you need. Get to the temple as quickly as possible, dude. <laughs> Go sit in the celestial room. Repair the spiritual damage. Move forward. Yeah, but I'm not. No, that's not the way the Lord looks at it. If he's the prodigal son, he'd be sitting outside of town <laughs> starving because he wouldn't dare come in. So. All right. So there's 40. Now. If we, if we now cross over to Alma 41, 
thought it was right there. Because here's the one that gets us. He says, some have rested the scriptures and gone far astray. Uh-huh. It's requisite with the justice of God that men should be judged according to their works. Now, in common understanding, when we talk about men being judged according to their works, how would we, how would we say that? How would we interpret that? Judgment day is a day when what? We're looking at our works, right? And the works, and you get, and you get celestial points, and you got to get to a certain point level, but before you at right, okay. If you haven't watched the the TV show The Good Place, you really should. The Good Place is all the Good Place is heaven, the the Good Place, but it's all based on a point system that they were living while they were in life. And, and they're trying to figure out, did I get enough good points to merit the good place or the bad place? Oh, wait a minute. This might be the bad place. I don't know. I was pretty awful as a human there, you know, and the whole bad, the whole TV show is based on where should humans go based on the point system they live during life. Pretty, pretty clever, Ted Danson. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, you get to that scripture in the works. You want to pay a lot of attention to the next two qualifiers right after. Okay. And their works were good in this life and the desires of their heart. Yeah, yeah. Now, but right. But if I'm going to be if I if I take this at face value from an Old Testament prophet talking to Old Testament people, and I say you're going to be judged according to your works, what are you hearing? Yeah. I I I look at my commandments, and there were days that I that I didn't make Passover. <laughs> And there were days I didn't do things well. And there were times that maybe I wasn't sure on my tithing. And there were times that I really didn't do my ministering assignments. And there were times that my kids went astray. There were times that, and if we're going to do the based, if we're going to do, we're going to be judged according to your works, according to our, what we deserve, then our works will condemn us. But what if judgment here in terms of the real sense, is you're going to be judged according to your works, which means what is it that you need? Which I think is how God judges us, based on what we need. And, and everything that he's done over time with the atonement and everything says it's based on need, not what I, what I deserve. I mentioned on, on Saturday night, uh, <coughs> those of you who have been around for more than a minute, you remember the old Temple Recommend interviews? The very last question, I mean, when I was a bishop, very last question said, do you consider yourself worthy, what? In every way, <laughs> in every way, to enter, to enter the temple, basically. And I don't think I ever gave that Temple Recommend interview without somebody looking at me like, do I sell? Can in, in fact, I, I put uh, I put uh, President Martin, Jerry Martin, on the on Saturday night. I put him. I said because I asked him because I knew what he'd told me previously. I said, when you were 
you know, all the time when people would say, when, when a, a leader would say to you, are you worthy in every way? Guess what he'd say? No. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't consider myself worthy in every way to enter the temple. I'm, I've, I'm keeping the commandments the best I can, and I, I think I need to go to the temple. But if you're going to ask me, what do I, do I deserve? No, I don't. None of us do. If we're going to be judged according to our works, we all fail. We all fail. We're all prodigals at that moment. Are we not? So he judges us according to our, our works and goes, you're right, you don't. But what do you need? What do you need? Now, I, so I got a question. Um, Brent, when you went to uh, when you went off to university, and they gave you a midterm exam, what was the purpose of the midterm exam? Assess your progress. I'm going to judge where you are, and for you, you were able to say, "Okay, I can. I I can also assess that I need to study more." <laughs> Or I need to figure out, I don't understand this concept. I need to put more into that. There are a lot of judgments in, in college settings that simply say to us, that judgment is based on helping me understand what I need and what I've got. What, it's not based on, well, you failed the midterm. We're going to dump you out of the whole program. There's some programs that are going to do that. You're going to pass your, going to pass your, licensing exam or something like that but most of the time i think judgment is based on assessing where you are and then where you need to grow and where you need to learn does that make sense yeah yeah well the reason he was a good professor is he never saw anything on the exam he didn't cover at least two days different days on his lectures. And occasionally he'd do something for his job. When you go back through your notes and you count, how many times did he cover a topic and he wasn't good for it? I think the Lord's the same way. I do too. See, I think we get really super worried about the final judgment, especially if we're reading the Book of Mormon literally. I think the, the final judgment or a judgment day will freak us out. That's why we're a little confused when President Uchtdorf would say the final judgment, the, the judgment day will be a day of joy and celebrating. And you go, well, I think it's a day I'm judging myself and condemning myself. He goes, no, it's a day of celebration. We go, how can it be a day of happiness? Well, it, it would be a day of horror if this is the way you look at it. But if you see judgment as a sense of here's what it is that I'm needing, and this, and the, I'm going to get an assessment to where do I go from here? Awesome. But that's not our context, man. And it was not the context of that first generation of the church that was pretty literal. Yeah. That that would be Oliver Granger. Oliver Granger. I 
I think we need to think about that too. Get to work, trying your best, and we're not successful. And maybe if you had it to do over, you would have learned something. But that doesn't mean we hope that we do it. Oh, okay, hold on here. That's probably what I should have done. Whenever I've taken people to Kirtland, we always go to the, his, his, his headstone is just across from the Kirtland Temple in the gravestone in the cemetery right there. And I always park people. Come here. Get them off the bus. Park them in front of this thing. Okay, now. He was. He was sent, he was sent back. He was half blind, sent back from far west to sell the land in Kirtland, see what they could get to sustain the church. Again, I say unto you, I remember my servant Oliver Granger. And I said, his name shall be had in sacred remembrance from generation to generation. Let him contend earnestly for the redemption of the first presidency of the church. Nobody bought anything. He couldn't sell the temple. He couldn't sell the houses. You know, he just failed miserably. Okay. Um, let him contend earnestly. And when he falls, and when he falls, the Lord goes, and when he falls, and when he fails, and when as a missionary you go knock on doors and nobody answers. And when he fails, he shall rise again for his sacrifice shall be more sacred to me than his increase. So I've always figured when I park people in front of his headstone, I think I'm, I'm trying to help complete this because it's like I need to help people remember Oliver Granger. So, and I think that's it. And he's judged not based on what he did on his works, he's based on who he was. And when, when he died, uh, his, the, the, the uh, funeral was massive. Everybody loved Oliver Granger, even though, he, and, and most of them, the church members had mainly left Kirtland by then. Uh-huh. Yeah, he never did. It was, his, it was his daughter, Sarah Ann Granger, that helped form the Relief Society in Nauvoo. So, anyway. Thank you for that little side note. Okay, so let, last thing before we get done here. This, this I love. Talking about, see, from a strict sense, one is raised to happiness, going to heaven according to your desires of happiness or good, and the other evil according to his desires of evil. For his desire to do evil all the day long, he shall have a reward of evil uh, when the night cometh. I always stop here and go, okay, so explain to me like a Lamanite soldier. It would appear on the surface that this Lamanite soldier has spent his entire life trying to kill Nephites. It looks like he's done evil works. Does he have a shot at the celestial kingdom? Absolutely. But. How about Nazis serving in World War II? You know, the, I don't know about the leaders, but, you know, who knows? But certainly the soldiers and stuff like that appear to be doing evil. They got a shot? Absolutely. Because the Lord is going to respond not with condemnation, but what, what they need that will help them grow. Okay. Now, so that's why this is a little bit, if we're just saying based on what people do evil, who knows? Especially those that have, we, we we look in the brain and we see 
threads of addiction and anxiety and depression and and history and genetics and stuff like that, all the reasons that people do things they shouldn't do. Okay. But I but look at seven. These are they shall be redeemed to the Lord. These are those can be taken out. They're delivered from an endless night of darkness, for thus they stand or fall. Now, this part, I think, rings really true. And I think it rings true for all of us today. For behold, they are their own judges. Whether to do good or evil. Now, I don't know so much about the, I suppose it's good or evil. But brothers and sisters, how many times are we our own judges? How many times are we busy judging us? And not looking at what we need, but looking at what we deserve. And either we were, we'll kind of be a little narcissistic and go, okay, I deserve everything. <laughs> but most of the time, if we're some kind of humble, we're going to go, well, I don't think I deserve much. I can't count over the years how many times I've had people come into my office and go, I realize I'm never going to make the celestial kingdom, but I hear the terrestrial kingdom is nice. <laughs> really? <laughs> LGBTs will do that to me. I think terrestrial kingdom will be nice. Now, why would you think that? Well, because of. Is it, let's, let's get to the eternities and see what happens. I don't know everything there, but all I know is that the Lord loves you and the Lord will find a way to exalt you and I don't know what that looks like. I have not a clue. It's about becoming like Christ. It's not about condemning ourselves for what we're doing or not doing based on our works. Is that, is that fair? Okay, let me step back. Comments. I just, I'm, I'm asking you to change kind of the way you look at judging, and that's a, that's a big jump. And I, I realize that. But, uh, what's your sense? Also, when you talk about judging, before you went to church, I was on the high council, and one day I showed up to speak in Sacramento, and said, Christian, what are you doing? And they said, well, I'm going to As, as expressed by <laughs> Brother Hale. I've had that happen to me, by the way, yes. I do too. The Lord might have to set the record straight on a few points, but he's going to do it and run across it and construct it in a full way. And recognize the stuff that we've done well and then recognize the areas we need to grow. Because I think we go on from final judgment to keep on growing. Because now I'm going to assess what it is that you need and where you need to need it. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I was thinking the same thing about expression. Yes. It yeah. depends on we start at different places, but we will Yep. And that, again, based on the resurrection or that kind of thing, then we go, okay, here's the areas that I still need to polish up and I still need to move forward. So, so does it make sense now when I say we need to judge? It's different. The definition is different. That's right. 
That's right. I, I want us. I want us judging, because all through the scriptures it talks about judging righteous judgment, which is I'm going to judge people based on what it is that I think they need, and then I need to assess it, and I need to do that with me. I need to judge me, you know, because this says we're our own judges, and we're harsh. <laughs> we are hard on ourselves, but if we assess what we need, then we're more likely to ask for help. We're more likely to reach out and get the things that we need from others. Um, sometimes we need to listen. Sometimes we need to go serve. But I think if we do that, then we judge ourselves, not as a condemnation, but as an opportunity to grow. Cool. All right. Final comments? It's not, it's not like you're not prone to do that. But. <laughs> we're talking about the way that they just changed the two different standards for BYU, Provo, BYU, Idaho. Oh, yeah, they get to wear shorts in, yeah. in Rexburg. So we <laughs> well, <laughs> they needed to stay warm, but now, yeah. Here's the thing that I was thinking of is my girls were all saying, well, this is the joke, right? That the Idaho people think they're the the disciple, the righteous, the Lord, and then the Provo people were, you know, so I was thinking on the judgment part, why do we compete like that in our own faith and in our own schooling? Because I remember we're all together, we're all chatting and joking because my husband went to Provo and my older kids went to Provo, but all the rest of us went to Idaho. <laughs> so I think we, we do that as humans as earthly people we're like competing we do towards and that and that's a judgment right there it's like well you're the you know in that yes level, not we, this level and i was just thinking about how isn't we're that funny? talking about this and i was like they just changed the rules for this campus it's just weird how well they put me in hawaii because what they were on there at BYU eight is that's right. Yeah, they didn't have rules before, right? <laughs> I know. I know. That, 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 that natural part of us is just naturally competitive. Right. We're talking about naturally competitive. Yes. That's right. True. That's why the cowboy game was so enjoyable last night. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever enjoyed a football game more than I did the one last night. Uh, but but there is, we do. We have that natural side of us. But the problem is, is that when we're doing it based on what we deserve, all of that judging then falls on us, and then we fall short. We walk into church, and everybody's better th th than we are. And, th and their kids are doing more. Uh, that's why we always dread at Christmas time getting the Christmas letter of, here's what our family is doing, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, because it ends up being a judging thing. So, all right. Uh, <coughs> I'm bearing my testimony that the Lord intends us to judge, but he intends us to judge righteously, which means he needs us to be able to assess what we need and that we need to look for the needs in others. And that if we'll do that with love, that we'll be kinder to ourselves and I think we'll be especially more kind to everybody else who's just struggling, even those that don't understand are still condemning themselves. And I bear that witness to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen.
And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.